great. Good morning. Um, worship this morning. Oh my goodness. I felt like I have to come over going, oh my goodness, I'm just wrecked this morning. So good. Um, what I love so much about our worship team is this is not a group of people that are just coming up in here and playing instruments and singing songs. They just pour their heart out, right? And that's so evident in the way worship flows here. So thank you, team. It was amazing. And it's always such, a, such an honor and a blessing to be able to come up here and, and share with you. And I know I've said in, in this in the past, but I feel like whenever it's, um, when they, I've been asked to speak, that it's usually because God is trying to teach me something new. Um, this is so always first directed at me um, because God's like, Laura, here, let me have you talk about this, and maybe you can, uh, maybe you can get it. Um, <laughs> didn't Pete do such an amazing job with Commandment 1 and 2? So, so good. Pete is amazing to listen to. Um, but, Pete, I want you to know that um, when you were talking about the double wonder under jump rope and the fairy dust, um, apparently you can't just buy the fairy dust and sprinkle it on you and get the same result as using the jump rope. I know I, it's a shame, really, um, but that's not a thing. So I just thought, in case anybody was wondering, um, I looked into it and, and no. Um, <laughs> But digging into these commandments um, has really been a refreshing revelation to me personally. Um, I think in the past I've kind of regulated these Ten Commandments as a very stern list of thou shalt nots. But digging into these, I've come to realize that this is really a letter of love from a father to his children and how he wants us to come into the full blessing of what he desires for us. And all of these commandments point to the one who fulfilled them all, and that's Jesus. And Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he is just the complete fulfillment of it. And his life and his work is shown in every single commandment from the beginning to the end. And so that's why I think this series is just so important that we can come to know how much God loves us. And we can come to know him more deeply and more intimately. So let's pray. Lord, what a privilege it is to be in your house this morning, Lord. We just thank you for your presence here, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would be speaking this morning, Lord. That you would open our hearts to receive and our ears to hear, Lord, what it is that you would share with us this morning. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are on commandment number three. And again, like growing up in my past, I've always felt like whenever I hear the Ten Commandments, they are in the King James Version for some reason. Angry God to me speaks in the King James Version. I don't, I don't know why. And he also has Charlton Heston's voice. Um, I know Charlton Heston played Moses in the Ten Commandments and not God, but that's, that's how I hear it. I can't help how my head hears it. And so here's like the King James Version of um, commandment number three. Thou shalt not take the name of thy Lord God in vain, right? It's very, um, very powerful. And like I said, I just hear it in a very, very stern, angry voice. But let's take a look at it in the, um, the ESV version and Exodus 27. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
And so I've always thought of this commandment, the third commandment, as the swearing commandment. Thou shalt not swear. Um, most of you might know that I actually work in construction, which is really practically one of the most swear-free professions that you could ever be in. It's, um, where's Colby or, or Czech? It's, it's kind of like working in a convent, right? Very similar in their language, right? <laughs> no, no. Uh, needless to say, I'm exposed to some um, colorful language pretty much every day. Um, and growing up, there was just zero tolerance for any type of foul language in my house. Um, I wasn't even allowed to say the word sucks. That was considered a swear. I feel really guilty right now even saying it because my, my dad is going to listen to the sermon later and go, she said sucks from the platform? I mean, I just know I'm going to get the eyes, you know, from my parents. Um, I was... I personally was fortunate enough not to have this certain type of punishment happen to me, but some of you may have experienced this home cure for swearing, right? Anyone? Um, I've also heard of the Tabasco sauce treatment. Uh, hot, hot sauce. I think that's worse. I don't, I don't like spicy things, so to me that would be torture. Um, but for some of you that struggle with this, you'll be excited to know that there has been an extensive list developed of alternate swear words. Right, and here we go. I don't know if you can see those up there. Um, there's lots of really good choices. Um, great googly moogly, that's one. Um, Pete, your name is up here twice. For the love of Pete and for Pete's sakes, you are an alternate to a swear. That's pretty awesome. I have to admit, I think I've said for the love of Pete before. Um, so there's some choices, but some of you, if this is a, a really serious issue, you will be happy to know that there has been a cure developed for this. It's true. I read it on the internet so you know that it's true. And they have developed a new pill to help with swearing. Christian Pharmaceutical Company offers new drug to stop swearing, darn it all. <laughs> right? Take one capsule by mouth daily while swearing persists. If only it was so easy, right? Um, in our culture, the use of profanity is fairly prolific. And when looking at the commandment, sometimes I think we regard the third commandment as the swearing one. But I think we have simplified this commandment by thinking that. This is in God's top ten. It is up there with adultery and murder. So why would God put such importance on something that seems so dismissible in comparison? So let's take a look at the Amplified Version of Exodus 27. And it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That is, irreverently, in false affirmations, or in ways that impugn the character of God. For the Lord will not hold guiltless, nor leave unpunished, the one who takes his name in vain, disregarding its reverence and its power. So the Amplified Version is saying you shall not take the name of the Lord in ways that impugn the character of God. And impugn means to dispute the truth or to call into question. So this is way more than just using his name as a curse word. This is about calling into question the character of God himself. The Amplified Version also says about taking his name in vain, disregarding its reverence, and power. So in Hebrew, the word take means to lift up or carry away. And the word vain in Hebrew translates to emptiness, 
nothingness or emptiness of speech. So a more literal translation of this verse is, You shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God for nothingness. That's pretty powerful. And in the Jewish culture, the name of a person was inseparable from them as an individual. And we see this over and over again in the scriptures. Your name was an expression of your inward identity. It established who you were. So, for instance, like the name David, that meant beloved, right? And David was one of the most beloved kings. Joseph, he will add And you think of Joseph in the Old Testament bringing his brothers into Egypt and how the Hebrew population multiplied because he saved them from famine. And even Moses, one of um, the definitions of Moses is deliver. Right? Very much tied in to who they were. And then God even chose to give a new name to some to better describe who they were. Like Abram became Abraham, the father of many. Simon was to Peter. He became the rock. And then Saul to Paul, which means humble. And even the name of Jesus, Yeshua, is derived from the meaning to rescue or deliver. The name of God that's most used in the Hebrew Bible is called the Tetragrammaton. And it looks like this. You all know what that says, right? Pete? No, beat nose. Um, and if, it, if we translate it to English, it looks like this. In the Hebrew language, they don't use vowels. And so translated, it looks like this. And we would say it in English as Yahweh. And Yahweh literally means, I am who I am. Or I will be who I will be. And when Moses asked God for his name, God gave it to him. In Exodus 3, 14 and 15, it says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered Throughout all generations. God's name speaks of his supreme sovereignty. He is the I am. The one true God. So when we look at God's third commandment, it isn't simply don't use my name to swear. It's a commandment to not question his character or disregard his reverence or his power. It's a commandment to not treat his name as empty or meaningless. And that really hit home, church. I'm going along thinking, well, I don't curse using God's name, so I have this commandment down pat. Nailed it. But then I started looking at this deeper, and I had to ask myself, are there areas in my life where I have questioned his character, where I might have disregarded his reverence, And where I might have treated his name as nothing. Perhaps I don't have this commandment as locked in as I thought. And in society, I would venture to say that it is commonplace to use God's name as a curse word and the name of Jesus used as an expletive. And part of the reasons when you look at the rating system for movies, 
Um, a, a movie might be given an R rating because it uses the big swears, right? But the name of God isn't part of that, right? Even in a PG movie, it wouldn't, it's not uncommon to hear God's name used as an expletive or even like an exclamation point. But it's funny, though, that we never, ever hear anybody else's name used in the same way. Like if you were driving in Seattle traffic, you would never hear, Wayne, darn it, they just cut me off right? Or if somebody hurts themselves, oh, Jeremy, that hurt. (laughs) Or even if someone is excited, oh, my Kathy Ford, that's amazing. No, except, of course, Pete. We can use Pete's name in that way, as we learned before. Um, But also, people never use the name of lowercase g gods either. Like, you never hear at a football game, those Buddha darn refs can't make a decent call. Right? Or if someone hits their finger with a hammer, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Right? It doesn't happen. Or when someone does something wrong, oh my Isis, what have you done? Right? It sounds ridiculous. Right? So why is only the name of God used in this way? It's because there is power in the name of God. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Holy Spirit. And the names of all those lowercase G, gods, hold no authority at all. They are meaningless. And I believe the broad use of how the world uses the name of God is a purposeful and intentional move of the enemy. The enemy wants to lead mankind into making the most powerful name of all into a common, meaningless, and empty word. Because if the enemy can get man to devalue the name of God, then man will no longer recognize or call upon his name. By making God's name appear common, the enemy can make us believe that it means nothing. But the name of God doesn't mean nothing. It means everything. And when we allow ourselves to reduce his name to an exclamation point, we are then failing to recognize God's name for what it is. Religious observant views do not ever speak the Tetragrammaton or Yahweh out of fear for misusing his name. Like even when they're reading scripture, they will say another name of God instead of Yahweh because they're afraid of breaking that third commandment. But God did not give us that third commandment so we would never use his name. He wants us to use his name. God wants us to know his name. By recognizing the significance of God's name, we open the door to knowing his character and more fully and experiencing his power more deeply. And we can find the importance of the name of God in what the name of God does. And the name of God does and can do so many things. But I wanted to focus on three of them this morning. One of the things the name of God does is the name of God heals. Acts 3, 6 says, But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I will give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. James 5, 14 through 15 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. 
And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And Acts 40, 30 through 31 says, Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Over and over, the name of the Lord is used to heal. And I know that there are people sitting in this church today that have been prayed for and healed in the name of the Lord. Most of you have probably heard about Pastor Tom over at the Edge Foursquare Church and his battle with cancer. Um, last January, Pastor Tom had gone in for a, a routine medical procedure and had no problems, but by April, his body was riddled with cancer, and they had given him one week to live. We have stood together with Pastor Tom in our small groups and as individuals and as a church body, praying for healing in the mighty name of the Lord. And many of us stood here just a few weeks ago before service when we surrounded Pastor Tom and laid hands on him and we prayed in the name of the Lord that the cancer be removed. And with his permission, I would like to share with you this report from Pastor Tom. I got a call from the doctor yesterday. The spot on the neck they really believe is just muscle tension. Don't know why or why that would be lit up, but that's great news. And uh, I just left my surgeon's office and uh, she actually I can feel the spot now and uh, she pulled up the scans from April which um, it got lost in uh, all the cancer that I did have and uh, she showed that it was actually still it was there then and uh, which she thinks is really really good news uh, because if it was there then and did not respond like the other ones, then it's likely not cancerous. It might just be a cyst. And so Monday morning, she is going to remove that at noon, actually. Uh, Monday at noon, she's going to remove that. It's just a minor surgery, uh, local anesthetic. She'll send it in for a biopsy. But at that moment, I will be cancer-free, which is... Uh, I've almost wondered why I haven't been so ecstatic. It's just uh, from going from zero cancer in January after a surgery to seeing my body just riddled with cancer in April. It just kind of, uh, in the back of your mind, it subdues you a little bit. But I'm celebrating, and I'm really excited. I give God all the glory. Um, at the beginning of this process, when we were in Seattle and he gave me weeks to live, uh, he said, everything has to work 100% from this point out. He said, you, this medicine needs to work, and it has. And then he said he would uh, get me immediately on the two different forms of immunotherapy, and uh, that would be the way he would combat that. So um, after prayer, we, we spent some time praying about this after Wednesday. And uh, after praying, we are going to go ahead uh, with uh, that form of treatment, um, believing that the Lord is actually, uh, he's in all of this. Medicinally, uh, we are being spirit-led. We have been praying the whole time from day one about how we should go about this healing, and we believe that God is healing me in process, and in doing so, is doing a new work in us, so that uh, this is our step to, to victory in Christ. 
my body is not 100%. I, I feel the effects. I'm still losing weight, uh, trying to put some back on and working out. Um, I got a long way to go before I'm 100%, but in my spirit, in my heart, I'm 100% with the Lord. And so that's our newest update. Monday, I'll have this removed, believing uh, that it's only a cyst. And at that point, my body will be cancer-free from the first time in months and believing that it will stay that way. Amazing. Um, I also wanted to share this first picture. So this is what he looked like in April. This was his body in April. And this was the latest scan that they just did. It's amazing. All right, this has just such been an amazing progress of God, God's healing in Pastor Tom. So we want to continue to pray for Pastor Tom because he is believing in faith for a full and complete healing from the Lord. God's name carries his personal identity. And God's identity is healer. The name of God is also authority. Luke 10:17 says, When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. And Matthew 10, 1 and 8 says, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. And in Mark 16, 17 through 18 says, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Jesus gave his name as the authority because there is power in the name. There is authority in the name. It is the name that is above every other name. And it's given us the authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Angels, men's, men and demons have to bow at that name. And we are authorized as believers to use that name. I love this story of the Roman officer um, in Matthew 8, 5 through 10. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go and they go, or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. The centurion recognized the authority of the name of Jesus. He was telling Jesus he believed Jesus had the authority over sickness and disease, that all he had to do was speak and sickness would obey him. How many of you have ever had to use a power of attorney? Right? It, with this document, it gives one party the ability to act on behalf of another person. 
They have the legal right to perform any legal decisions or transactions just as if they were the person they were representing. All legal authority has been given to them, signed over by the other person. And when we gave our hearts to Jesus, his authority was transferred to us. Jesus' blood paid for our sins, made us new, and in that, we can speak on his behalf. We can speak with the authority in his name, with all the authority and power that he has, just as if Jesus was speaking himself. Isn't that incredible? We have the ability to do as Jesus did by the power of his name. And all of heaven's resources have been made accessible to us. John 16, 24 in the Amplified Version says, Until now you have not asked the Father for anything in my name, but now ask and keep on asking, and you will receive so that your joy may be full and complete. Doesn't this make God's name far from empty? Far from worthless. How can we possibly marginalize the name of the one who gives us authority on his behalf? God's name carries his personal identity. And God's identity is authority. The name of God also brings victory. And the story of David and Goliath is one of many great stories where God's name brings the victory. And I'm going to read this to you this morning. 1 Samuel 17, 40 through 46. Then he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag, armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, started across to Goliath. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this nice little red-cheeked boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David shouted in reply, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the armies of heaven and Israel, the very God whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. David was a young boy who tended sheep. He wasn't a soldier. He wasn't a warrior. He was even dismissed of being worthy enough to have dinner when Samuel the prophet came. He wasn't even invited. But he knew that he could call upon the name of the Lord and be victorious. And I picture him just striding down into that valley, his head held high, carrying those stones, knowing he would defeat Goliath. Because he knew the name of God brings victory. In Proverbs 18.10, King Solomon wrote, The name of the Lord is like a strong tower. The righteous person runs to it and is set safely on high. And ultimately, in the end, no matter what the enemy tries to tell us or tries to do to us, we will claim victory in the name of Jesus. 
Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, and that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And in scriptures it says we fight not only against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And there might be physical giants that we fight against, but there also are spiritual battles that we face as well. And sometimes those both cross over to each other. And I wanted to share with you um, a story of a time in my life where it was very much a physical and spiritual battle that the Lord gave me victory over. And... Some of you may know that I am a survivor of domestic violence, that my first marriage that lasted five years, um, I was physically and emotionally abused to some points where there was a couple times where I wasn't sure um, if I would keep my life. And I knew the Lord during this time, but I thought I was so unworthy of his love Because I thought I deserved the abuse that I was receiving. I thought I had earned it. I thought I was the worst wife, the worst person, the worst Christian. And how could God even look at me, let alone love me? And I remember I used to pray that if something was to happen to me, that God would just save some little place in the corner of the attic of heaven for me. Because that's all I deserved, if even that. And one night, I woke up to my ex-husband sitting across my chest, grabbing my wrists, trying to tie them together. So immediately, of course, I was filled with fear, and I was confused. I didn't know what was happening. And I immediately started pleading with him to please let go. And what I can only explain as this presence was in the room with us, this heaviness. It was this presence of evil that was there, and it was like a weight in the room, and I felt this pressure. And the more I begged and pleaded with him to stop, the more that pressure pressed in, and the more agitated he became. And I remember thinking, Lord, I know I don't deserve it, but please, I need your help. And I had never spoken in, like, spoken back to my husband before up to that point because that would just make the abuse worse. But in that moment, the power of God filled me in a way that I had never experienced before. And it just rushed in me like a wind. And with all of my being, I shouted, In the name of Jesus, I command you to get off of me. And it was like that weight was thrown off like a blanket, just tossed away, and he jumped off of me like I was on fire. And he laid there on the floor just sobbing and told me how he'd been at the bar that night and he'd met up with a couple guys there. And as the night went along, He ran out of money. So he had bartered with them 
that if they would continue to pay for his alcohol, that they could come to the house and do what they wanted to me. And they were sitting out in the driveway, waiting for the signal from him to come in. And immediately that fear, I felt that fear starting to rise up. And then again, the Spirit of God just fell on me with this peace. And I knew that they were gone. And my ex-husband got up and went to the window trying to figure out how he was going to get them to leave. And they were gone. Church, I know with every part of my heart and soul that that was the power of the Lord that commanded them to leave. There was no logical reason for them to leave. They were there to collect on a debt. But I know that I claimed the victory in Jesus' name that day, and he removed that spirit and those men from that place. And I don't know what giants you might be facing, whether they're physical giants or if they're spiritual giants or if they're a combination of both. But I'm here to tell you that you can stand and claim victory on the name of the Lord. He will bring you the victory. There is nothing too deep that God cannot come and raise you up out of it. We just have to stand on his name. Just like David, we have to stand in front of that giant and say, I declare victory over illness, over my finances, over broken relationships. In the name of Jesus, I claim the victory. Because in his name, we have the victory. Like we sang today, it breaks every chain. God's name carries his personal identity. And God's identity is victory. The way we use God's name conveys how we really feel about him. How can we in one breath declare God to be the healer and the authority and the victor, but then in another give his name no meaning at all? If we truly feel the weight and the fullness of God's glory, we must honor his name. Jesus tells us in Matthew 22:40, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind." If we fail to recognize the importance of the name of God, we fail to honor what Jesus said is the greatest commandment of all. Church, we need to be filling up the name of the Lord rather than emptying it. So how can we honor his name? We can honor his name with our worship. John 4:23 says, "But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth." The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. And a synonym for worship in the scriptures is the expression call upon the name of the Lord. So when we worship the Lord, we honor his name by calling upon it. We are saying to the Lord that we recognize his authority and we surrender to him. Because worship is an act of surrender. And I heard a pastor tell this story once that I thought was so good that he had someone come up to him and said, Hey, why do the people in your congregation raise their hands when they worship? And he described it in this way. 
If you walk into any bank and you see everyone with their hands raised, you know somebody is in control. Right? They have relinquished their authority to someone else. But God doesn't stand with a weapon to our backs, but we stand with a cross before us. And surrendering in worship, we are honoring the one who gives us life, who loves us, and who paid the price for our sins so that we might be set free. We fill up the name of God when we worship. We can also honor his name with our praise. Psalm 103.1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And Psalm 104 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. And one of the definitions of the word bless is to call holy or to praise. And some synonyms for bless are praise, worship, glorify, exalt, adore. So when we bless his name, we are calling his name holy. We are glorifying and exalting and adoring his name. When David says in the Psalms, bless the Lord, he was making a choice. It was a willful action. It's a choice to say, I will worship and glorify and exalt and adore his holy name with all of my soul. And when we praise God, we are glorifying his name. We are choosing to recognize his name as holy. We are filling up the name of God when we praise him. We honor his name with our actions. And Luke 6, 44 and 45 says, Each tree is recognized by its fruit. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And there have been plenty of people throughout time who claim to do things in the name of God, but are really doing things of their name, of their own ideology. From the Crusades to cults of today, groups of people claim to be doing things in the name of God when really they are doing things for their own purposes or glorification. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And as Christians, we can honor God's name through loving others as he loves us. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God and love people. We can ask ourselves before any decision we make, any action we take, is what am I about to say or do loving God and loving people? Truly, we can honor the name of the Lord if our actions speak his truth his grace, and his love. We fill up the name of God with our actions. Jesus honored God's name with everything he did, everything he thought, and everything he felt, 
and he taught the truth about God. He spoke it, and he lived it. And he honored God's name through worship and praise and his life. And ultimately, he honored God's desire to reconcile man to himself by dying in the cross, on the cross in our place. And when we honor God's name with worship and praise and actions, we enter into a deeper relationship with him. We get to know who he is. We get to know his character. We experience what he stands for and how much we are loved. And as the worship team comes up, I would like to close with this. God loved mankind so much, he told us his name. But it didn't stop there. Not only did God tell us his name, he gave us his name. When we asked the Lord into our life, his name became our family name. The name of God has everything to do with who he is, but it also has everything to do with who he has made us through him. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. His name becomes our name. We are not orphans, but we are a part of God's own family. My identity in Christ is as a chosen and adopted daughter. Your identity in Christ is as a chosen and adopted son and daughter. So if we are living this out, how can we possibly use his name in vain? But rather, we should speak his name in reverence and honor in all we say and think and do. We must continually recognize the greatness that is the name of God. We are not to make God's name trivial or empty or worthless because he is none of those things. And because we bear his name, he has made us none of those things either. Through God's name, we are healed, we have authority, and we are victorious. And maybe there are people here this morning that don't know Jesus. You don't know that God has chosen you to be a part of his family. You don't know the love and the mercy and the victory that knowing his name holds. And if that's you today, Jesus can meet you right here, right now, right where you are. And maybe there's those of us this morning who might have forgotten the power and the authority the name of God holds. Perhaps there are those of us that need to remember the victory that we can claim in the name of God. 
And if you need prayer this morning, please do not leave here without it. There will be people down front here, and we'll pray with you. And as we sing this last song, let us honor and fill up the name of the Lord with our worship. Let us praise the awesome and mighty name of the Lord our God. God's name carries his personal identity. God's identity is healer. God's identity is authority. God's identity is victory. And through Jesus, God's identity is our identity.